Amen. We got a great nation. How many of you guys know we have a great nation? I think what's awesome is to see um, the hand of God in all things. I don't know if we've ever been in a place where, where now we could see the hand of God doing all of this and more. And how many of you guys believe the media this morning? I want you to remember that question because nobody raised their hand, right? Because who, who benefits, guys, from division? Ain't that something? It's Satan that benefits all these things. So we actually have a ministry uh, this morning, and our sermon this morning is called America's Original Pulpit, but we have a ministry that this church has been supporting since 2017. It's called Self-Evident Ministry. One of the reasons we started this ministry was because, you know, I'm a Latin-born kid. I'm first generation. Actually, I was born here in America, but my parents, I'm a first generation American, a third generation preacher. I never thought I'd do it. Mom said, you're going to do it. And I was like, no. And then I got saved and dang it, mom was right, you know? But hey, it's all awesome, right? We started this because we saw lies being promulgated through schools, through the media and all these other things. We wanted to bring hope and perspective to history. Guys, how many of you guys hated history growing up? Oh, come on, let's get, I used to hate it. All of a sudden I saw the finger of God in all of it and how God redeems his people. Even through their flaws, we still have the greatest nation on earth. It doesn't matter, right? Guys, if you guys go out to the cafe over there, we have a table back there with all of our merch and we have some new courses out. Our new constitution course came out. We have a new shirt. It actually says life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Amen. Right, it's awesome. We have them in black too. Uh, this is awesome. We have a new one here called Free the Speech. Free the speech. Ephesians 5.11 actually says, don't have anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's time to start standing against the wickedness. Amen. So you guys can go get some shirts and some merch and all that other stuff. Uh, I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you, Pastor Todd and Jan, for having us do this. Every 4th of July, I, I preach on this weekend something on history. Last year, we did the miracles of the founding. This year, we're going to talk about how the church is what started the revolution, not our founders. It was the church that changed the times. It was the church that stood on its ground. The church stood on the word of God. And how many of these churches and these pastors were abolitionists? These pastors stood against wickedness. I'll tell you, some of the sermon titles you got to see from back then and from 1735 to uh, 1765, you saw sermon titles like homosexuality, what the Bible says about it, bestiality. They talked about different things like earthquakes and uh, like stuff that was in the papers we preached on. So we're going to talk about a little bit of that today. This is Samuel Adams. If I can pull it up here, it's not working. It doesn't like me. This was working just fine before, guys. Isn't that awesome? The Lord is good to me. You might as well do it with me, Mariah, because this thing just froze up. Praise the Lord, huh? Guys, also, there's a petition back there. I just forgot to mention this. Forgive me, because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little discombobulated that this thing happened. There's a Human Life Protection Amendment uh, petition back there. Carrie Long is back there. And out of the 29 petitions that are up for human life, and the, uh, basically preserving the human life, this one is the only one that protects the preborn. So we want you to go back there and sign that, because, guys, we need to protect the babies. Amen? We need to protect life. So thank you so much uh, for standing. Miss Carrie, we'll see you after service. Uh, we'll go back there. This is Samuel Adams. How do we know Samuel Adams today, guys? Hey, okay. 
Do you guys know that he was considered the father of the American Revolution? This guy was a preacher to the preachers. He was amazing, would walk into places and just start talking about liberty. As a matter of fact, he said a quote, and I just want to say this real fast. He actually said, it does not take a majority to prevail, but an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men, right? Here's what I'm saying. They knew back then they didn't have the majority either. And I hear a lot of people say, we need the pulpits, we need the pastors, we need the... Look, we need one to stand with God and he'll move. Amen? So let's be the ones who move. So this is Samuel Adams. He actually said, we have this day, the 4th of July, restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in the heaven and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. How many of you guys heard that in history class? How many of you guys heard that in any sermon preached? How many of you guys knew Samuel Adams was actually one of the ministers and actually had a seminary degree? How many of you guys knew his cousin John Adams actually also had a seminary degree? How many of you guys knew that? Why weren't we taught these things in history? These are questions that I had to ask myself and say, okay, now we have a forgotten history. Can we agree with that? There's a forgotten history we don't have. And if you guys don't know, even this famous picture right here, there's a, there's a black gentleman right here about third in. That gentleman is the most forgotten person, and he was the one that actually helped defend Washington in many battles. Why is it we're not talking about these guys in history? Go to the next slide, please. We have a forgotten history. This is George Orwell. If you guys have never heard, this guy was uh, from uh, England, and he actually was an author. He wrote a book called 1984 and many other books. He actually predicted a lot of what was happening in government today and what would happen with socialism and things like that. Listen to what he said. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present, though, controls the past. Did you guys know that a year and a half ago, they just passed a new curriculum for history. They're getting rid of teaching about World War II, the Civil War, all these other things. Why? Why are they getting rid of it? Why are they not telling you about your heritage and history? Can, does anyone, again, can we, I'm going to ask it again. Do we believe the media? So let me ask you this. Name another country out there right now. Someone tell me that teaches their students and their people to hate their own nation. Name another country. You won't see it, but in America, we're teaching our children to hate its founding, to destroy its founders and its foundations. Why? Why? Look at this. Did you guys know last year and a half ago, the National Archives put a warning label on our Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and the founding documents? Watch this. This is what they said. We we issued a warning on catalog documents cautioning readers against racist, sexist, misogynistic, and xenophobic opinions. You know what the average constitution in any nation is from 1776 to now, the average age of a constitution? 17 years. Do you know how old ours is? 247. The longest standing constitution in history, and we're telling our kids it's misogynistic. It's racist. We're going to destroy some of that today. I do a whole class on it. This is actually, look at the newspapers of the time, because you know the newspapers today are favorable to preachers, right? Right? The Washington Post, New York Times. They love preachers. They love to talk about them anyway, right? MSNBC, CBS, ABC, and all the other three-letter things, right? They love talking about Jesus. But listen to what this paper said in 1789. Our truly patriotic clergy, the church has boldly and zealously stepped forth and bravely stood our distinguished sentinels to watch and warn us against approaching danger. They wisely saw that our religious and our civil liberties were inseparably connected. 
Our civil liberties and our religious liberties were connected. And it said this, and therefore warmly incited and animated the people resolutely to oppose and repel every hostile invader. May the virtue, zeal, and patriotism of our clergy be ever particularly remembered. When's the last time you heard a paper do that? Remember the preachers of old. How many of you guys even know any preachers back then that stood for American independence? for the rights of man. We're gonna talk about some of that today. Watch this, this is John Wingate Thornton. He was a historian. He actually wrote a book and it was called The Pulpit of the American Revolution. He took six major sermons and wrote about them. This volume was so incredible. And some of the sermons he took were from the preachers I'm gonna list here in a minute. He said, to the pulpit, the Puritan pulpit, we owe the moral force which won our independence. We, we, we say Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Elbridge Jerry. I mean, have you guys ever heard of Elbridge Jerry? There was a, one of our founders called Button Gwinnell. Who lost that bet to name him? <laughs> Button Gwinnell, right? But there's all these founders. James Otis, who was a preacher. His father was a preacher. These guys were founders. And we never have heard about these guys. Why? Why? Let's go to the next one. This is Hezekiah Niles. Hezekiah Niles would have been considered what a millennial is today. He was uh, in the 1800s. He wrote to John Adams in 1816. And he said, listen, I have been ascribed the duty, the privilege, and the honor to write a book on the real American history. And he tells John Adams, I need stories. I need pictures. I need, well, not pictures. I need events. I need stories. I need, you know, catalogs. And did you know John Adams had over 300,000 written letters and things that he had artifacts that were so well preserved? So he writes them about a year and a half later and goes, bro, I'm going to die before I get all that to you. Because at the time, John Adams was 81 years old, right? So he says this, I want to give, uh, can you go back to that other slide, please? He said, to give an admiring posterity, I want to give our future generations the best portraiture of men and things of those memorable days. I want to show the future generations how awesome God moved on us. And this is John Adams' response. He said, what do you mean by the American Revolution? He said, do you mean the American War? The revolution was effected before the war even started. The revolution was in the minds and the hearts of the people, a change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. This radical change in the principles, opinions, and sentiments and affections of the people was the real American Revolution. That's where it started, was in the hearts of the people. You see, we've, been had, we, we've had a challenge from Pastor Todd over the last, I don't know, seven years uh, to stand up, to go be a part of community and society. We've got a job to do, ladies and gentlemen, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was not men who started this. It was the gospel that set us free. Here's the important part of the clergy, though. They knew the gospel didn't just set me free spiritually. No man has authority over me to be a tyrant. No man. No man. So... John Adams actually wrote back in 1818, he said, you cannot even talk about the American Revolution without talking about these four ministers. Watch this. Goodbye. Reverend Dr. Samuel Cooper, he said he's at the top of the list. Reverend Charles Chauncey, who's ever heard of Charles Chauncey before? Probably not, right? I figured as much. Reverend George Whitfield, we've probably heard of George Whitfield. Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew, these four men, he said, these four men were responsible for the foundations of the revolution in our country, preachers preachers. Watch this. How many of you guys have heard of these guys? These four prominent pastors of the pulpit and revivalists, black men, free men who went out and preached during the first great awakening. Check this out. This is awesome. Rich, Reverend Richard Allen, 
was born in 1750. This man traveled all over the, the, the New England territories preaching the gospel of Jesus. Look at Reverend Absalom Jones. Reverend Absalom Jones was the first black priest in America. How come, if this was really about race relations and unifying people, how come they're not telling you this? Why aren't they telling you this? This is important to know. These men were free men preaching the gospel. Here's Reverend John Morant. Reverend John Morant was in churches telling them we need to be free. He was an abolitionist. He said we can't be in slavery. And they changed it because of men like this. Right? Here's another one. Listen, Reverend Harry Hoosier. Don't change the slide yet. Reverend Harry Hoosier. Reverend Harry Hoosier. Oh. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of Benjamin Rush? One of our founders signed the Declaration of Independence. Very influential in our revolution. What he said of Reverend Harry Hoosier was, I have never heard a preacher like him in my life. He is the best order I have ever heard. Many of the preachers like Whitfield said, they, he drew larger crowds than all of them. He was a working class kind of preacher. Now, he moved right after the revolution out west to Indiana. Why is it called the Hoosier State? I get angry about this because we're telling our kids to be blacks and against whites and Latins against whites and whites are this and blacks that. When in church was it ever about that except the blood of Jesus? I'm going to call on all of us now. It's up to us to stop this division because the only one winning is Satan. The only one winning is Satan. Next one, please. So John Adams, he was our second president, he said this in 1775, it is the duty of the pastors, it's the duty of the preachers to accommodate their discourses to the times, to preach against such sins as are most prevalent, the sins going on in the day. I just mentioned a few, they talked about every kind of sin you can think of, guys, there's nothing new under the sun, it was going on then too. Okay? And then he says this, and recommend such virtues as are most lacking in our churches. For example, if there's exorbitant ambition and veniality, in other words, if lusts get a hold of us in this country, he said, ought they not to warn their hearers against those sins? Shouldn't we be talking about them? If, public, if the public spirit is much lacking in our, in our nation, should they not inculcate this great virtue? If the rights and duties of Christian magistrates and subjects are disputed, should they not explain them, show their nature and ends and limitations and restrictions, even though it makes all of Massachusetts angry? Shouldn't we be preaching? How many of you guys know we're making people angry, preaching the truth of God now? Guess what? It's not, we're not making people angry. We're making the demons tremble, y'all. It's demonic. Right? Next slide. He said, the clergy of this province are a virtuous, sensible, and learned set of men. And they don't take their sermons from newspapers, but the Bible. They don't take their sermons from the, what's going on in the day and how can we ease the message. No. They took them from the scriptures. And they preached true hardihood, lofty courage, and character. These men stood for something. They stood for the nation. Right? How many of you guys have heard any of this before? I know. We got it in our course back there. Y'all can pick one up this afternoon, right? This is Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew. Listen to this. This is one of his sermons. He preached on earthquakes in November 1755. He preached a five-week sermon series on earthquakes and what the Bible says about it. How many of you guys have ever heard a sermon on earthquakes? How do you preach five weeks on earthquakes? I don't know. 
He's going to do it now. Watch. You know, I was thinking in scripture. I just, I saw a revelation the other day. And he's going to bring up, like, I mean, you've heard, I've heard of earthquakes in scripture. You know, when Christ died, rent the temple, right? The whole, there's earthquakes, but like, what was the spiritual significance of earthquakes? That's insane. But listen to, this is one of the founders, uh, the founding preachers that John Adams said was the most influential of the time. He said, Reverend Mayhew declared that governing authority is a trust conferred by the people, those in power, and to assume any other power is mere lawless force and usurpation. He said in his sermon, Listen to this. The sermon was called A Discourse Concerning Unlimited Submission. He said in his sermon, if they don't act like government that we've elected, they are no longer government. They are tyrants and no longer worthy to be obeyed. Can you imagine the hearers and the the associate pastors? Okay. Um, How are we going to do that, right? He said, no, let's go back. He said, those that are in authority may abuse their trust and power to such a degree that neither the law of reason nor religion requires that any obedience or submission should be paid to them, but on the contrary, that they should be totally discarded. We should not obey them if they're being unruly, right? Next slide. John Adams actually said that sermon was read throughout the colonies and in London. The sermon argued that God actually sanctioned the revolution against tyranny. Did a whole sermon on Romans 13 in 1750. Wrote a whole forward about it. He said, my church people are angry with me talking about politics. And he said, you're telling me to preach Christ instead of politics, but politics and government are in the Bible. And I'm going to preach about it. So the same things happening today were happening then. Same fears, same worries, except these preachers had bounties on their heads from the British government. We're going to talk about that in a minute. This is George Whitfield, stud. He was short, stocky, and cross-eyed. That's what they said of him. But here's the funny thing. His anointing, you could hear his voice over a mile away. A mile away, they said you could hear him preach. He preached over 70,000 sermons in a half a dozen countries. Can you imagine? 70,000? That's a lot of sermons, right? Traveled to uh, to the U.S. nine times before steam powers, all on boat, right? Had a direct personal impact on over 10 million people. He helped lead the Great Awakening. He partnered with John Wesley. Uh, Look at the bottom. He influenced men like Franklin and Madison and Jonathan Edwards. Charles Spurgeon said, I can't even touch how he preaches. And this is insane. The revolution. Look what he preached. He taught Americans the value of independent thought apart from ecclesiastical control. It's about a relationship with God. And the government can't tell you how to have that relationship with God. Amen. Next slide. How many of you guys have ever heard of the Black Robe Regiment? The Black Robe Regiment of the time? These were the modern day preachers of the 1700s. In other words, from 1775-ish and down, these guys were considered the Black Robe Regiment. Sounds like a cool name, doesn't it? I wanna be a part of that. There's actually organizations today that are called Bring Back the Black Robe Regiment. So you can actually be a part of that if you're a preacher and be in the Black Robe. But did you guys know it was actually a slander? That the king and his cohorts actually called these preachers the Black Robe Regiment, he said that they are destroying, they're destroying the scriptures. They're not preaching them correctly. They're false heretics. Therefore, you shouldn't listen to them. Doesn't that sound familiar? Here, how many of you guys have ever read the 11th chapter of Acts before? Did you guys know that the word Christian was not a good term? It was actually a slam term. Oh, look at those Christians. Look at those followers of that Jesus guy. The word Christian was not a good term. It was actually a slanderous term. Just like here, being called the Black Robe Regiment. Continue. Any people, he said in an election day sermon, 1776, any people when cruelly oppressed has the right to throw the yoke and be free. He also said this, to save our country from the hands of our oppressors ought to be dearer to us 
even than our own lives, and next to the eternal salvation of our own souls. George Washington was actually writing letters to the churches saying, go get your men, let's go fight. And they did. How many of you guys have ever heard of Reverend Samuel West? Samuel West was a responsible founder of our people, of our nation. He fought for abolition. He hated the vices of the day, but we've never heard about him. Here's another one. Reverend James Caldwell. James Caldwell was preaching uh, in a sermon and he actually said this, these are the times when it is righteous to fight as it is to pray. And after that sermon, he got out with his men and started fighting with his congregants in, in the battle. Maybe you guys have heard of that before. Can you imagine if Pastor Tao went out there and fought with us with muskets and guns? And... I'd probably trust him more than the federal government. Right, but watch this. Caldwell had a bounty put on his head for preaching this sermon. They came after him with his life. They said, you know what, kill that man and we'll pay you a reward. So then he started showing up to his church with two flintlock pistols and would put them on the pulpit. Dang, my boy was strapped. My boy was packing. That's insane. You imagine, boss? You're just throwing up the nine. You imagine? Dang. But listen, to them, that was their duty. They didn't walk in fear. Listen to this. They didn't walk in fear. They weren't like Christians saying, we just need to ease the messages. No, I'm going to stand for God. They can come after me, but they're not coming after my God. And they stood. And they stood. And they stood. And they defended their churches. And they stood in the pulpits and preached righteousness. They stood for the name of the Lord. That's why we have a country called America. Go back, please. He fought alongside his congregants. And when his congregants ran out of uh, musket wadding, can you imagine how inefficient that was? It's not like we have M16s or any of M17s. They had flintlock muskets and they ran out of musket wadding. So you know what he did? He went into his church, grabbed every Watts hymnal he could and gave it to the men. He said, use this. And that was a famous saying that came out of him. He said, go give them Watts, boys. So they tore apart the hymnals and used it as musket wadding. He said, we're going to get the gospel in them somehow. <laughs> give them Watts. Reverend Isaac Watts wrote those hymnals. And he said, let's go give it to them. Isn't that awesome? That they stood. See, it's like we think, oh, that's a little rebellious. No, the government is, not us. We're not rebellious. And we've got to do what we're called to do. Uh, you know, it's funny. They were after him. And John 16, 2 actually says, when they come to persecute you and take you out of your synagogues and kill you, they think they're doing God a service by persecuting you. And they're not. And they're not. Next slide. Um, this is awesome. First few battles during the Revolutionary War were re represented by the church. Represented by the church. Watch this. The Battle of Lexington Green. 73 Americans went against 700 British men. And they won the battle. 73 versus 700. Ten of you shall put, what, a thousand to flight? Come on, man. They lived the scriptures, y'all. You want to know, oh, let me say it this way. You want to know why it's not activated in your life? Because you're not willing to step out and walk in it. If you were willing to step out and walk in your healing, you'd have it. If you were willing to step out and walk and believe the God you say you serve, he would show up in ways you didn't even know he could. If you would just believe that's all they had was Christ. The Battle of Concord, 300 Americans showed up all from the church of Reverend William Emerson, once again outnumbered, and they won that battle. The church, the church, go to the next slide, please. There was so many of this. And what effect did our clergy have on the world after the war, right? 
So this was the early 1800s. Um, this, right after the Constitution was signed in the 1790s, um, we, there was a French war going on for their independence and the French were not Christian. For the most part, they loved their vices, they loved their drinks, they loved their women, right? So it was about lust back then. And they were trying to get America into that battle. Thomas Jefferson almost did it. He really wanted to be a part of it. He's like, well, they helped us in our revolution. Why shouldn't we go help them? Adams was like, are you nuts? We're bankrupt right now. We don't have any money. We're a fresh nation. I don't want to go out and fight right now. But watch this. Um, Washington, Franklin, Whitfield, and many others had already died. So they forgot their history right away. Why are they trying to get rid of World War II, the Civil War? Do you guys remember the children of Egypt, or children of Israel that were enslaved in Egypt? When after Joseph had died, the Pharaoh was harder on them because they forgot his God. And they allowed themselves to be enslaved because they forgot their God. I think Americans have allowed themselves to be enslaved far too long because we've forgotten our God. We forgot our history, right? And I'm here to help you. Because <laughs> I forgot it too. I didn't know. But watch this. Spiritual indifference was happening. Less than 10% of the population belonged to a local church. Westport expansion was happening. And lusts happen when there's no morals, right? And we start to take over. Profanity, lewdness, gambling, drunkenness were on the rise. Negative influences from the French Revolution and pamphlets like The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine were attacking Christianity. And Thomas Paine was a Christian and renounced Jesus. So he started going and attack Christianity. And uh, colleges that were formed to train ministry became places of agnosticism and infidelity. Yale, Princeton, Harvard, all these colleges were training ministers. College of William and Mary started to go agnostic. Sound familiar? There's hope in a minute. There's hope in a minute. But look at this last one. The Presbyterian Church wrote a letter to each pastor and they said this they were filled with awful dread and concern of what was happening at the, in the country and that God has a controversy with this nation you know what they basically just said God is mad at us we let it go right we let our country go next slide this is Edmund Burke he was an English statesman an economist a philosopher have you guys ever heard of Edmund Burke before some history books uh, he supported the American Revolution. Listen to this. You who have no hope. There's a lot of people in this room who don't have hope. I've heard it a lot when I travel and go preach on these things. They say, I don't want to bring a kid into this world. I'm afraid of what's going on. Jesus is coming back. Jesus, please return now. You know, they never talked like that. Not one preacher did you ever hear preach like that. You know what they said, Lord? Hebrews 11 is right. Why don't we emulate that? They destroyed kingdoms. Stop the mouths of lions, punch the fiery darts of the enemy, right? Listen to this. He said, people will not look forward to prosper or posterity to their future generations who never look backward to their ancestors. If you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. Why is it important to learn your lineage? Why is it important for us as Christians to know that we're joint heirs with God? To know the history of our fathers? Hebrews talks about and says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? They were our examples that we should follow in their steps, right? So if he destroyed kingdoms back then and he set up a government like this, can't he do it again? I believe it. I believe it because there's so many examples that happened just like this. And watch this. Here's the next slide. They began to pray and fast for revival. Remember, this was early 1800s. They made covenants with one another to set revival in motion. How many of you guys have done this with each other? You, hey, we're gonna fast together tomorrow for, the, for a day and a half. Just gonna take a chance. 
right? I don't know if I cannot eat for a day, but oh my goodness. All of a sudden, midday, you're like, you know what, Lord? You don't understand my heart, man. I'm going to go eat something, man. I'm tired. My head hurts. How many of us make excuses to destroy our covenants? They made a covenant with one another that we would fast and pray for revival. Listen to this. The second great awakening swept across the country. Swept across the country, but it was recorded that it didn't happen until the pastors and other clergy took a stand for truth and righteousness and boldly proclaimed God's word. You know when revival happened? When the pulpits were set on fire again. And it's happening now. You don't have hope? Today you're going to have some. Okay? Next slide. This is Alexis de Tocqueville. In 1831, he traveled here for nine months from from France. He came with a friend. He was a poli-sci major. He was a historian, a politician. Alexis wrote a book called Democracy in America. And this is what he said in that book. I just want you to hear this clearly. He said, upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. These denominations that exist in the United States are innumerable. So many denominations in our country. He said, each denomination adores the deity in its own peculiar manner, but all preach the same moral law in the name of God. So the Quakers did not like worship. Everything to God in prayer, right? They didn't like revive. But revive was like the frozen chosen, bro. What's going on, right? But they still preach the word of God. He said in the United States, the sovereign authority is religious. There is no country in the whole world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. Listen to this. The Americans combine the notions of Christianity and liberty so intimately that it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. You can't separate the Lord from liberty. What are they trying to do today? You know what the greatest sin we ever did in the last 50 years? We made sin votable. Abortion, homosexuality, gay marriage, transgender. We now vote on sin. Not liberty anymore. That's a great sin that we need to correct as the pastors. Amen? We got congregations to lead, folks, and every one of you can do something. Amen? This is another quote that was attributed to him. Listen to this. He said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, her fertile fields and boundless forests. It wasn't there. I sought for her rich mines in her vast world commerce, her public school system and in her institutions of higher learning. It wasn't there. I looked for it in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution. The greatness wasn't there. He said, not until I went into the churches of America and I heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of the power. It was the pulpits. One question. How many of you guys have ever heard this? Yes, thank you. One, two, few, three, couple. This was common knowledge in churches back then. This was common. And notice now what we're preaching is we just need to talk about Jesus. Jesus changed the world. Jesus changed the world. How many of you guys have ever read the end of the book of John? The end of the book of John says this, that not any, all the books in the world could contain the miracles that Jesus did. That he changed the world so intimately that in the book of Acts, 12 men turned the world upside down. What could he do with 500? What could he do with 500? You think it's insurmountable now? Where's your God? 
He created all this. Psalm 2, let's get into this next slide. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, in the darkest ages, Christ has always had a church. And if darker times shall come, he will still have his church. He will still have it. And we still are the church. And they can't silence you. They may try to take away your voice, but the truth will never change. The truth won't change. William Cullen Bryant once said, he was a poet, he said, truth crushed to earth will rise again. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. Look at this. Look at some of the modern day preachers who changed the nation. Reverend Billy Graham. I honor you, sir, because you let me do this and you've allowed me to be submitted in this place to go do this. Thank you. Thank you for standing. Wait, go back. I'm going to talk about this for a second. How many of you guys have ever heard of Billy Graham? I mean, crusades had millions and millions and millions of people affected by preachers like this. D. James Kennedy, Coral Ridge Ministries, just down south. D. James Kennedy was the man. He was the man, as a matter of fact, listen to this, this is so cool, this is so cool, watch. He was actually having a pastor's conference and pastors were sitting outside and they were watching protesters uh, protest his church. And so the pastor said, hey, don't you notice there's people protesting out here, oh my gosh. You know what he said? You don't have them? Isn't that awesome? What a different way of thinking. They preach the truth, right? How about this, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Look, huh? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., him, Reverend John Abernathy, Reverend Jesse Jackson, regardless of what you think of him today, they stood with him. Uh, Sam West, um, there was a preacher named Dr. Vernon Johns. Have you guys ever heard of him? Black preacher. He was actually the original minister of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery. He came before Martin Luther King and he changed that city. Why don't we talk about them? Why don't we talk? How come we don't know about them? And why is it now they don't call him Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? They just call him Martin Luther King Jr. That man was a preacher of preachers. 26 years old, took over the pulpit ship. His father was an insane preacher. This dude was so learned. I actually have a plaque of uh, his, his works in my office. I don't care what you think. I see the fruit of the man. Was he perfect? No, but I see the fruit of what he did. I see the fruit of what happened with men who stood in the gap for this country. And there's many now, Jack Hibbs. There's a lot of preachers that are standing now for the things of God. And guess what? That gives me hope. It gives me hope. You can tell me all day long that Jesus is coming back. Yeah, he is. He is. But he ain't here yet. So we've got a nation to change and kids to preserve right now. He is coming back, but it's our job to take it back. And of course, Pastor Todd, I did that because I need a raise. So, everybody open your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. Some of the last slides. How many of you guys know Jeremiah 29 11? Thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, right? Plans for prosperity and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. But how many of you guys have read the preceding verses? You who have no hope, listen to me closely. This will give you hope. You know what's funny? In the midst of darkness and calamity and trial, God never told us to stop preaching or being Christians. Watch this, verse four. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile 
from Jerusalem to Babylon. Doesn't it feel like we're in exile right now as Christians? Watch. Build houses and live in them. Don't stop living. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and fathers, sons and daughters. Listen, he didn't say parent them. He said father them. Teach them. He said to father your sons and daughters. Men, it's time to father them. It's time to be like those Puritan preachers and teach our children the word of God. It's up to us. Right? He said this. Uh, he said, take wives for your sons and give to your daughter's husbands so that they may give birth to sons and daughters. Notice that? Even when you're in exile, even when you feel like it's lost and hopeless, go make babies. Live in some houses. Make some produce, right? Teach your kids about me. It doesn't matter. Watch. Verse 7, seek the prosperity of the city wherein I have sent you in exile. Go seek the welfare from me for this city that you live in. Why are we involved in the school boards and the town council and the county council? Because we're seeking the prosperity from God for our city. Why? Watch this. He said this, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its prosperity will be your prosperity. <laughs> if we do it, who's going to eat the fruit of us doing it? We will and our kids will if we do it. Watch for this is what the Lord of armies, God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets who are in the midst of your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to their interpretations of your dreams, which you dream. You know what the prophets were saying back then? Well, we're in exile. You just got to submit. Read Jeremiah 21 and 19 and 18. That's what the prophets were saying. We're in exile. Sucks. Tough luck. He was saying, no, go build cities. Go be Christians. Go be the name of the Lord, right? For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. Verse 10, for, the, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years have been completed, I think we're far past 70, have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you, fulfill my good word to you, and bring you back to this place, righteousness. I don't know about y'all, but when I read this, I got the goose bumpies. I was like, he's bringing us back to Righteousness. You ever notice the darker that it gets, the preachers start to preach louder? Isn't that awesome? Because the gospel of God is real. It works. And then he says this, for the, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Doesn't that mean something different now? I have hope, ladies and gentlemen, that this nation can turn again to the things of God. I do. I do. This transgender, can I just say something? Boy, that transgender and stuff movement got a shellacking this week by the Supreme Court, didn't they? <laughs> Woo! Pride month didn't end so well. Isn't that awesome? That there's still righteousness. I'm going to declare this month Independence and Liberty Month. I say we talk about it. I say we be free, right? I say we say... I don't want to celebrate pride for a month. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells me to hate pride and arrogance, right? So I don't want to celebrate that. I don't want to be proud. You know what I want to boast in? Like Paul said, the God who created me. I boast in him, right? Let's boast in him. My last quote, John Adams actually said this. It's my favorite quote. Did you guys learn something today? Come on. This is actually really fun. Guys, I could have done this in three parts, each an hour long. There's so much to this, but I had to condense it, you know, because modern church and all. I'm kidding. I'm playing. I'm playing. John Adams actually said this. No, because you guys can't retain. There's a national statistic now. They say most people can't retain a 25-minute sermon. 
we're breaking that in this church. Yes, we can. Oh, one more stat before I read this. Did you know that from 1700s to 1763, over 8 million sermons were preached in America? That the average person heard 8,000 sermons in their lifetime. That's 10,000 hours of sermons. And the average time of each sermon was an hour and a half. Bruh. Just the sermon. Haven't we reversed it? It's worship that's an hour, hour and a half. And we got to condense a sermon. No, I love the word of God. I love when sermons go long. I love it. Right? So here's the last quote, posterity, future generations. You will never know what it, how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. He said, I hope you'll make good use of it. Because if you don't, I'll repent in heaven that I took half the pains to preserve it. <clears throat> I got a job to do, you know? It's not about America. Did you hear me once talk about red, white, and blue today? Or Republican, Democrat? No. Do you know why? Because only, this, only Satan would divide us that way. It's either truth of the word of God or darkness in Satan. It's either sheep or goats, wheat and tares. It's either light or darkness. What is scriptural? What is not? That's what we need to focus on right now. And if you have any problem with that, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the author of the scriptures. Because he's the one who said, judge all things by the word, Right? That's why we do this. And so I want everyone to stand up right now because we're going to impart courage into you this morning. I was going to do a prayer time, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to start declaring some things over our country and over our region and our city, if you don't mind. And I want this to just come into agreement. If you don't come into agreement with me, see me afterwards. We'll pray with you and then you'll come into agreement. Amen? (laughs) I just want to pray. Father, I bless the United States of America. And by your hand, these men who were flawed, just like men of scripture, created a nation like this. 150 men who stood in the gap and said, we're going to do this. And stopped all these atrocities like slavery and abortion and all these other things that are happening. These sins have been so long had. But Lord, we repent of those sins. We repent of things we didn't do. And I don't even know if I can repent for that, but I'm doing it. But I'm also repenting, Lord, for division, for pinning ourselves against one another because of a party or the media. And I challenge every one of us and I decree over us, Father, we shut the TV off and we start reading the scripture again to unify. I declare over the United States a righteous, bold zealousness over our preachers. I declare over the United States of America mothers and fathers to unite again and that the hearts of the sons turn to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. I declare our Congress, our president, our Supreme Court to walk in the things of the Constitution and righteousness again in Jesus' name. If it happened once, Father, you can do it again. That's a big ask, but I believe in a big God, okay? Lord, I declare over Stewart, Florida in our region and our territory that goes from Vero Beach all the way down to the Palm Beaches. I thank you, God, that we are starting something that will not change and that our future generations will say of this place, God was among us. The revival happened here. It was revival that shook the Treasure Coast, that the Treasure Coast is a beacon of light for the rest of the country, that, Lord, we see our schools change and that we destroy these agendas that are coming after our children and that we empower the mothers and the fathers of this territory to say you are the right father and the right mother for those kids. You stand in righteousness and you raise them in goodness. 
The Lord says to raise them in the nurture and admonition of God, and he will take care of them. It's their promise. Lord, I pray and I decree and declare over this church that our voice would amplify a hundredfold. That, Lord, not only our voice, but our reach would amplify a hundredfold. That you would protect our pastors. That you would cover them by the blood of Jesus. That he would hear like Moses heard. That he would lead in righteousness. And he wouldn't be afraid and he wouldn't cower. And that we would follow in truth. We are a brother's keeper, Lord. We didn't prophesy over 13 kids last week for nothing. We pray for that hope and future in this country. And we believe it because you're God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. guys come back this Wednesday uh, for the third part series of the Alphabet Soup sermon series. The first two were cooking so you guys are dismissed. Go back and check out our table back there and also that petition that's back there. Go get you guys some merch. God bless you guys. We'll see you this Wednesday and next Sunday.